Good afternoon. We're going to finish up uh, Faith for Exiles today. We, we talked yesterday uh, about, uh, our, in our last session, about some of the differences between digital Babylon and Jerusalem, uh, which represents the old way of doing things. And there's nothing wrong with the old way of doing things, except um, I heard uh, Lance Wallnow say the other day, it's a great line, the Lord, uh, he was talking to a guy, and a guy, his son went with him on vacation. And Lance says, you got your kid to go with you on vacation? He says, I have to pay my kids to go with me on vacation. And he went on and he said, you know, uh, I ask them where they want to go, and then I go there and meet them just so I can see them. And um, uh, he said, how did you get your kid to want to go on vacation with you? And the guy, great line, he says, um, well, I had to learn, I had to recalibrate my relationship with my son as he got older. So in other words, that relationship he had when he was 10 years old isn't the same as when he was 15, which isn't the same when he's 20. He had to change. And, uh, and Lance brought up the point, and I'm certainly not going to dig into it, but he said a lot of marriages have trouble when the kids leave because most of their marriage life, they were focused on the kids and when they left, there's no kids, and so there's no marriage. Um, I'm not a counselor, but uh, that made sense to me. Anyway, um, we talked about the tension of displacement felt by many Christians is this. At a formative time in their lives, they experienced a culture that was more Jerusalem-like, monotheistic, uh, homogenized, white middle-class values and morals that unashamedly claim to rely on the Bible for authority. That's what we grew up with. That's what, you know, uh, I can remember political discussions from the 60s and 70s. We would have never had this discussion about what's right and wrong. We might have had a discussion, and we did, vigorous discussions on tax policy, on this policy and that policy and so forth, and how much money do we spend for the you know, Defense Department and so forth. But the basics we would never argue about. You just couldn't do it because everybody believed in the basics. It's not that way today. And um, uh, as we go on, let me pull up. We're caught between cultures. Um, Twenty-five years ago, there was a, a problem called social desirability bias. Social desirability bias. This was the desire to appear more spiritual than they really were. So back then they did surveys. You weren't afraid to answer your phone. The phone would ring. You'd, you'd walk over and get it off of the wall. Or if you had a princess phone, you'd drag it around with you uh, and a real long cord. And it had a dial in the handle. Or, or the newer ones had push buttons in the handle. And uh, you talked to the person. And... Um, they had to filter out the fact that you probably want to look more spiritual than you really are. Uh, well, like he said, uh, that is gone today. That's not an issue anymore. Nobody even thinks about that anymore. Uh, in Jerusalem, God's people prize appropriate behavior following rules and moral purity. That's what, that's what Jerusalem, living in, in Jerusalem, taught them. Uh, in digital Babylon, the culture of digital Babylon, however, resists the hegemony of a single right way of life. That's not, they, they don't teach that anymore. Uh, there's many ways that are right to life. Um, 
except the right to life. Anyway, that's a different story. Uh, those who make claims like there's nothing new about the dropout problem or young adults will return to church when they get married and have kids perceive culture as a backdrop that has no impact on thoughts, feelings, relationships, and choice of character. Now, this is a very important distinction here. I'm going I'm to rest on this for a minute so that I can work through it. Culture is not a backdrop to what happens. Culture is not a backdrop to what happens. Culture is the setting of our life. Society that we inhabit, the prevailing attitudes, collective values, and so forth, and, and even the tools we use, is more like a character in the setting of our lives rather than the setting of our lives. Now, you've got to understand that this is very important. Culture is not the background of our lives. It's a character that operates within our lives. Okay? Um, Jonah 4.11, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, this is very specific. Jonah 4.11 from the New American Standard uh, 2020 version said, God talked, spoke to Jonah and he said, Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals. Now, Jonah preached and Nineveh was saved. If you go back to Jonah, he didn't want to do it because he said, I know you're compassionate. I know you're merciful. As soon as I preach this, they're going to repent and you're going to save them. And I don't want you to save them. I want you to rub them out. That's basically what Jonah said. Okay. Now, God... Pulled, did not pull the plug on him. He was merciful on him. But then you, you go down the road to uh, Nahum and you find out that in 50, 60, 80 years, somewhere in that area, uh, Nineveh slid back into the cruelty that they were known for before and this time uh, the Lord cleaned them out and stopped it. So, um, God has compassion uh, and he'll have compassion on those you may not think are worthy of compassion. Okay? But just keep this in mind. And first of all, and the other thing is, God was concerned about their animals. I think that's interesting. As well as many animals. That's what he said. Now, let's go on and talk about empires subjugate weaker nations of the earth using a variety of tactics. Military, colonial strategies, um, the, the British Empire, you, you, the Japanese Empire, uh, they just move in and take over and they pull the resources out. Now, um, a lot of America's enemies call America imperialistic and, and, and that, uh, that we do that. Um, we're not a, we're, we are not an empire. That's for sure. Now, the thing that we want to look at, though, the Babylon of the Bible is characterized as a culture set against the purposes of God. Listen to that again. The Babylon of the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, is characterized as a culture set against the purposes of God. It is a human society that glories in pride, power, prestige, and pleasure. Now, uh, Rick Bonfim is actually doing a series on Daniel, the book of Daniel, 
And you'll find out that the, the, the Daniel starts when these kids are taken from Judah, from uh, not Judah, yeah, from Judah. They're taken from their homeland and sent to Babylon as young men, and then they're they're uh, raised as Babylonians. Is basically what it is. And so uh, we can learn a lot about the situation we're in by understanding what did Daniel do? How did he handle his situation? Um, uh, Babylon is a place and an archetype of collective human pursuits that set the opposition to God. Look at what's going on today in the news media. I don't care, you know. Uh, you can't really get the news. You go back to the days of, of uh, John Chancellor, um, uh, Walter Cron- Cronkite, uh, Huntley Brinkley Report. Many of you may never even heard of these people. But they were the they were from six o'clock to six thirty every night, ABC, NBC, and CBS. Uh, Walter uh, Cronkite was on CBS, Huntley Brinkley were on ABC, and John Chancellor was on NBC. When they gave the news, they just told you what happened. They didn't they didn't try to to bend it. They just told you what happened. Uh, and then it got changed. Uh, Walter uh, Cronkite actually changed that with the report. So we've watched in my lifetime journalism go from here's what happened, you figure it out, to we're telling you what happened and this is what you need to think about it. That's part of the issues that we're dealing with now. Um, all right, let me go on. The Jewish elite were captured after Babylonians' military conflict, com, conquest of Judah, and they were forcibly taken to the empire's capital and subjecting them to a cultural conquest nearly as devastating as their martial defeat. Okay, now listen uh, to the. Um, this is called several things today. Uh, repatriation, ethnic cleansing, slave labor, culture eradication, um, uh, trafficking. Uh, all of those things are happening today. Were happening back then. It's just they, did, they had different terms for it. And they, there wasn't any way to fight it back then. Okay. Uh, today, this all happens digitally, but there, of course there's trafficking and these other things going on. But that's where we're at in this society today. Uh, we have to live and understand that this is the way society is working against what we believe and against what the Lord says. Uh, it is against, it's a society, it's a culture, it's a worldview, it's a lifestyle built on opposition to God. Okay? Um, through our screens, through the screens of these little boogers, um, ubiquitous presence, Babylonian pride, power, prestige, all colonize our hearts and minds. Okay, you begin to to one of the more interesting things that, that in the study of this I found out. Twenty years ago, you could get on the internet. It wasn't that big then, but you could get on the internet. And you could very easily decide, well, these guys are true news people and this is junk. And now the lines are so far blurred that bloggers uh, 
now have their own website, their own news site, and people who just blog are now considered news sources. Not good. Okay? Because uh, we don't know the training that they've had. We don't know anything about them. But they, they know how to build a website, and they're good writers, and so they dream things up, and now we're stuck with having to prove a negative. You disprove a negative. Uh, President Trump dealt with this all the time. Fake news, they call it. And, and it is. Because it's the, what fake news is, is Babylonian's uh, uh, currency. Fake news is Babylonian currency. Okay, They deal in falsehoods. Uh, John chapter 8, Jesus told the Pharisees, uh, You are of your father the devil. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And when he lies, he simply speaks his own nature. And that's what we're having to deal with today. And without the Word of God, you're in a, in a, in a um, wilderness where you won't be able to figure it out. You have to know what God's Word says. You have to be able to relate what's going on. Take take uh, Afghanistan, the mess that we got into trying to get out of Afghanistan. Just sit down and analyze that, and then go to the Scriptures. Where where do the Scriptures talk to us about that? Psalms is loaded with them. I challenge you to go to Psalm 2, 10, 11. Read those, and then keep in mind about uh, Babylon. Keep in mind about Afghanistan. Keep in mind that the Scriptures are telling you these are the things that are going to happen and then when they happen, you can't be surprised. Okay. Now, websites, apps, movies, TV, video games, music, social media, YouTube, and so on and so forth, provide the grid against which we test what is true and what is real. Okay. Now, one of the problems that we're running into, Facebook, YouTube, um, Twitter, uh, all of these places, they are now becoming the arbiters of what's true. You put biblical truth out there. You begin to say, okay, look, here's what the Scriptures say here. They jerk you off their media site because they say it's not true. They call it false information. Uh, you start posting what uh, doctors say about COVID and so forth. False information you get pulled if it doesn't agree with their narrative. That's a problem that we have to deal with. What's the best way for us to do that? That's what we're trying to find out. Um, this idea of, of truth coming from these websites, YouTube, these platforms as they call them, uh, it blurs the boundaries between what's true and what's not true. You can't get truth out if you don't have any way to say it. You can't get truth out if you don't have any way to say it. Um, if, you're not, if you had YouTube... Uh, Eric Metaxas is a good example of that. If you don't know who Eric Metaxas is, he wrote uh, the book on Bonhoeffer. He's written other books. He's a, he's a tremendous guy, but he's, he speaks truth. And um, and his he was on YouTube for a long time, and they pulled him. Why did they pull him? Because he was telling the truth, and it didn't jive with their narrative, so they pull him off. Now, when he gets, as they say, deplatformed like that, we don't have access to him. We don't know what the truth is. And other people come on and they can't find him, but they find this guy over here that says this is true, that's true. It's difficult if you don't have the worldview, if you don't have the, the resource of the Bible 
to draw upon, you're not going to get these things right. Now, we move on and we see a couple of other things coming up here. All these contest to define reality and their features of digital Babylon. All of these things contest to define reality. Um, kids are social creatures anyway. And you know, when 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 we were in school, you passed notes, and oh Lord, Lord help you if you got caught passing a note. The teacher would a lot of times read it out loud in class, and that was the most embarrassing thing that could happen to you. And um, if you were and, and and the the thing about passing notes, there was an audit trail. Uh, you know, you you yeah, you you couldn't delete it. Uh, once it was out there, you, you know, John likes Sally. Andy, do you like me? Yeah, I like you. It's blah blah blah. It goes back and forth. Uh, that's the way we used to do it. That's not what happens today. So, uh, digital instant access to false information is what we're facing. That's where we have to deal with the truth. The, the power of these digital tools and the content they deliver are incredible. Now, and this is one of the more amazing statements that I read, and I had to, I actually had to read it. If, if you could see it on the thing, it's actually highlighted in red. It's that big. We are the first generations of humans who cannot rely on the earned wisdom of previous generations to help us live with these technological changes. Let me say that again. We are the first generation of people who cannot rely on the, on the earned or learned wisdom of previous generations to help us with these technological changes. There was no iPhone before 2007. So we've actually got a generation of kids that are now, take 2007, add 10 is 17, add 4 is 20. So you've, got, you've now got kids that are 14, 15 years old that have never grown up in a world that didn't have an iPhone in it. So, we don't have any accrued generational wisdom. You can't say, well, you know, when Dad, back when Dad flew his B-17, his iPhone stayed. You can't do that. Uh, and it was interesting, uh, Cracker Barrel, when I traveled, was one of my favorite restaurants. And they always, if you, if you look at a Cracker Barrel, you go in, there's the, there's the um, fireplace. And they always have a wooden phone up here on the side, the old crank phone. There's almost every one. I've never seen one that didn't have it. And I was in North Carolina, and this this father had two boys. One's probably five, and one was probably two. And, and he's got the two-year-old, and he's showing this five-year-old who's standing on the hearth of the fireplace. He's showing him how this phone worked. You know, you take this thing down, and you crank this here, and the operator would come on, and you'd pull this down. Talk. And that little boy, I just had to eat breakfast. Watch that little boy was just watching, and everything and and when dad got done he turned around the little boy goes but where's the screen daddy where's the screen and um they they grew up in a world they can't imagine that they can't imagine a dial phone they know they never had the problem of trying to call into a radio show and being the fifth caller with a dial phone that was a problem if you if you you had to try to dial it. It was a real, real mess. They didn't know anything about party lines. 
These are things that we grew up with. Technology's changed and we now have a generation of people where there is no track record for them to fall in. They're building their own track record. That's a problem. Uh, we could say that digital Babylon moves at this pace of fiber optics and the idol that is worshipped is fitting in and being up to speed. Fitting in and being up to speed. Um, I, I marveled. Go back just a year and a half ago. You got an iPhone 11. We need to get rid of it. We got to upgrade it to the iPhone 12. It's the greatest thing going on since sliced bread. We got the plan for you to do this, this, and this. And now, nine months later, got to get rid of that one and got to get an iPhone 13. Who knows what iPhone 14 is going to look like? But now we've got different things. So technology is going so fast that what kids had to have an iPhone 12 now have to have an iPhone 13 because the iPhone 12 is no good anymore because we got the 13. That's the pressure that they're under. And if you if you would go to the Gospel of Mark chapter four, uh, the parable of the sower, one of the things Jesus says is. Uh, the, one of five weapons that Satan uses is lust. Uh, and lust is defined as pressure on the five physical senses. So these kids are fighting lust, pressure on their five physical senses about getting a new iPhone, getting a new Samsung. Uh, my wife and I changed phone companies the other day, and we went with Verizon, and we got in there, and I asked the guy, I said, do you, do you have a flip phone? He said, oh, yeah, my wife has a flip phone. Oh, yeah, we got one. He took me over to a flip phone. It was $1,700. $1,700 for a phone. It's a nice phone, but it isn't $1,700 worth. Anyway, so um, technology changes. Uh, the other thing I want to I bring up here and show to you is there's some positive aspects of screens. They promise you this. They promise you more connectedness. But research has shown that loneliness, depression, anxiety has risen among teams with the widespread adoption of smartphones. Get that. Loneliness, depression, and anxiety among teams has risen alongside widespread adoption of the smartphone. Uh, when I was uh, 15 years old, uh, uh, there was a, a girl that I really, I really liked. Her name was Peg. Uh, Peggy, and uh, she committed suicide at 16 years old. And um, um, But, you know, I don't remember very many other kids having to deal with that. Uh, I'm sure there were, but it wasn't widespread. Today, these kids are under depression. They're taking drugs. They're doing everything, trying to deal with, the, with all the pressure that's coming on them from digital Babylon. Um, this is what's called the I-Self era. And many young people are crippled by FOMO. F-O-M-O. The fear of missing out. Not to mention the fear of making the wrong choice. The fear of disappointing people close to them. The fear of living in a sub substandard life. All of those things paralyze these kids. They're, they're afraid to make a move. Um, they won't risk because they're afraid of the fear of missing out. And so forth. Um, Let's move on to the next. 60% of millennials are inhibited about sharing their faith due to digital interaction with peers. 
they're inhibited about saving their faith, about sharing their faith because of interactions, digital interactions with their peers. Uh, people tend to reject organized religion altogether, especially claims of an exclusive faith like Christianity. Many view the Bible as a book of oppression that is harmful to the minds of its devoted readers. Not only are they inhibited about sharing their faith, they're told that Christianity's exclusivity, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. I'm the only one. I'm, you don't go to the Father but through me. They don't like that because it's exclusive. Um, they view the Bible as oppressive because they take scriptures out of context. They don't. They don't understand them. And you remember this. Uh, Paul said that the scriptures are spiritually discerned, not not mentally discerned. So uh, if you're not born again, you don't have the spiritual tools to be able to discern these things. Uh, now the number of out. Listen to this. This is makes sense. The number of hours connecting, learning, and being discipled in a close knit church community is now a drop in the water in the ocean of digital content. You know, the number of hours connecting and learning and being discipled in a close-knit church community is a drop in the bucket in the ocean of digital information. That's hard, you know, because and, and, let's go back to Jerusalem. We talked about that last session. When we go back to Jerusalem, church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, possibly Friday night, and and... There, you had that time to learn. If you went to those locations and maybe had a home fellowship or prayer prayer group or something, you were getting a lot of information. That's not so today. That's not so today. Um, in an earlier book called You Lost Me, David Kinnaman brought this out. He concluded that the main reason young people dropping out of church is insufficient discipleship. Uh, many parents, educators, pastors, and other leaders are trying to prepare young Christians for Jerusalem to keep them safe and well protected from a world uh, that they no longer live in. So in other words, trying to keep kids protected in Jerusalem is not a world that they live in. A Christian identity in a, rare, in a rarely engaged church community is not enough to make someone resistant to the Babylon virus. Okay, Get that again. A Christian identity and a rarely engaged church community is not enough to make someone resistant to the Babylon virus. Now, since we can't live in Jerusalem, we need to figure out how to live in digital Babylon. This is a great line. Since we can't live in Jerusalem anymore, we're not going back to that. It's not going to happen. Uh, we need to figure out how to live in digital Babylon. Now, we'll go on. We've got a couple more points to make. In Jerusalem, we had some semblance of success with mass-producing disciples. We had big rallies and crusades, and many young people came forward to commit their lives to Christ. But a growing dropout rate of young believers starkly reveals this approach doesn't work anymore. You don't have a Billy Graham crusade. If you did have one, they'd throw you out. They would tell you that you can't do these things. Now... In digital Babylon, faithful, resilient disciples are handcrafted one life at a time. Uh, it's personal, one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Uh, millennials 
and Generation Z are often more willing to be challenged than we are willing to challenge them. Okay? Get this. Millennials and Generation Z are more willing to be challenged than we are to be challenging them. Okay? So the kids want more. We're just not delivering more. Now, to, to finish out, the practices of people that have a resilient faith form a resilient identity, experience, and intimacy with Jesus. So there's intimacy with Jesus. In a complex and anxious age, they develop the muscles of cultural discernment. They develop the muscles of cultural discernment. That's the ability to filter out all this digital information and decide what's true. You learn the Bible, you walk in a biblical worldview, discerning the truth is not as difficult. It may still be tough, but it's not that difficult. When isolation and mistrust are the norm, forge meaningful intergenerational relations. You need to... to Become familiar with people of other generations. Uh, it doesn't do me any good to go to a Bible study with people my own age when we need to influence younger people. We need to get involved with them somehow. Uh, to ground and motivate an ambitious generation, train for vocational discipleship. Uh, we, we need to curb entitlement and self-centered tendencies by engaging in a counter-cultural mission. So... Uh, these are the things, this kind of outlines the problems of digital Babylon. And we're going to believe the Lord that He will show us more as we go on uh, and lay the foundation for more uh, growth. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that You help us identify the problems that we need to deal with. What digital Babylon is and how the Scriptures and Your Word show us how to, to survive in the middle of it. We thank You in Jesus' name. See you soon. Stay.